and welcome back to another episode of Witch Fix. Today is not such a great day. I've been having a cold for the past couple of days, which has sort of made me unable to do anything except edit old episodes that I've previously recorded. But it has given me plenty of time to read and I've just finished Circle of Three, Book Three, Second Sight by Isabel Bird. Now I've previously reviewed the other two books in the series, the first two, So Mote Be and Merry Meet. This is the first book that is told from the perspective of one of the other girls in the pagan group, and that is Cooper. And so you find out a lot more about Cooper and her family and what their whole deal is. And a lot of that is linked into prior stuff that was included in book one and two about how Cooper's mother had kind of an issue with her maternal grandmother, Cooper's maternal grandmother, about witchcraft. And in this book, you find out that Cooper's grandmother was a practicing witch when her mother was younger. But because she got bullied a lot because of what her mum did, she convinced her to give up witchcraft and to just be quote unquote normal. And that's why she kind of flipped out when she found her mother teaching Cooper, her granddaughter, all of this stuff about traditional Scottish witchcraft. The overall plot of this third book in the series is very different to the first two. The first two are focused more on the pagan community, Wicca, and getting involved in that. This third book takes a distinct turn for the supernatural because it starts out with Cooper having visions. And later she discovers that those visions have to do with a girl who's gone missing, presumed kidnapped. And the visions sort of help her to find the girl's body and then also to further investigate the case and try and find out who the killer is. So it's a bit of a departure from magical realism into just straight up fantasy with these, which I'm not sure I like because I was kind of attracted to the series as being magical realism as being about Wiccans or pagans or witches rather than being about sort of sci-fi or fantasy witches. So that was a teeny bit of a turn off. I did enjoy having Cooper as the central character because I find Kate just a little bit boring. But aside from that, I didn't really enjoy the parts of this book that are Cooper having her visions because it's sort of like reading a dream sequence in that it's not really very interesting if you're not the person having the dream. And it does happen rather a lot. There's an occasion where she is jumping over the bale fire at Beltane and she feels like she's stopped in the middle over the fire and is surrounded by fire and then she has this vision before she jumps down on the other side and it just felt very kind of fantastical and fantasy. There's also sort of car chases and various other kind of dangerous situations in the book which again kind of tested my levels of belief in what I was reading. Some of the things that I did find really interesting was the class that Cooper attends in this book is about scrying. I dimly remember reading this book quite a while ago and being very interested in scrying and trying it out myself. I think these books are a great way to introduce you to some types of magical techniques that you can then go and try on your own and research a bit more in non-fiction books. So that's a plus. I also enjoyed the way that the pagan community at the shop and the rituals that they occasionally go to as sort of guests uh, are more involved in this one it's very interesting to kind of read about their involvement with that pagan community and Sasha from book two is back as well and I like that because it's a continuation of her story from the second book as well and I hope that she shows up in in later books 
something that kind of annoyed me is that when Cooper believes she's having these visions about this girl reaching out to her perhaps from death perhaps from being kidnapped it's unclear at that point she goes straight to the pagan bookshop owners her sort of pagan elders if you will and explains to them what she thinks is happening to her and they take her seriously and they kind of ask her all the questions about what she's seen and and then once they've got a full idea of the visions that she's had and the things that she's seen they say okay we better take you to the police so you can tell them now I don't know that I believe that that would happen. I think mostly if you go to someone who's more involved in the craft than you, who's been involved in it for a long time, they're more inclined to say things like, well, you went to school with her, she's disappeared from your school, probably this is preying on your mind, and that might be giving you these very weird dreams. The dreams aren't like straight up visions of her and places that kind of confused imagery. So I would expect them to say, oh, maybe it's a dream, maybe it's a nightmare, and we'll see if it keeps happening and to be a bit more reticent to put a teenage girl in a police station telling them that she's having visions because I feel like that's kind of setting her up to fail or not fail but setting her up for humiliation and in my experience people who have a lot more experience in the craft or who are older than you tend to treat everything you say as if you've just read too many Buffy the Vampire Slayer novels or if you've seen the craft one too many times and that you're making things up for attention. That's generally the response you get online. Uh, there are people who sort of share fantastical stories about seeing ghosts in their houses and various other things and people are always telling them you know you've just got an overactive imagination and I don't think that's generally the that's always the right response to have but I do think that they don't know Cooper very well in this book and it doesn't make a lot of sense to them to instantly say I completely 100% believe you let's go to the police tonight. Uh, something else that annoys me later on in the book is sort of more of the same in that there's a very serious situation later on in the book where someone else's life hangs in the balance and they're being held hostage by the killer essentially and Cooper doesn't go to the police or tell her parents that this person is in danger or trouble she goes back to the pagan bookstore and tells them and they hold a ritual to contact the spirits and ask them to find out where this person is being held and again I think that this book places a lot of more emphasis on magical workings rather than workings in the real world or mundane workings so you in the first couple of books they are very practical they do all the right normal mundane things for instance in the second one they go and they go to talk to the pagan group about Sasha and how she's a runaway and what should they do and one of the people who frequents the store and is involved in the coven works in social services so she gets involved with the shelter and that's like a practical human way to deal with things this book seems to direct them much more towards the witchcraft side of things using magic for all the problems and I just feel that kind of went against what we've been told in previous books about having to use both methods of the practical and the metaphysical to achieve a goal and how magic can't just be thrown at problems to make them go away but in this that is kind of what happens and that magic itself is much more fantasy magic in that uh, at one point the ghost of the murdered girl actually appears before her killer and scares him and I just felt that that was kind of a bit it just reads a bit melodramatic and a bit cheesy and that's not what I had experienced in the book series so far. Now 
the first three books are advertised on the back of each other so that they list the first three books on the back and I've just gone and ordered the next two which I believe are the only other ones that I've ever read of the series which are What the Cards Said and In the Dreaming and I know What the Cards Said is an Annie centric story and Annie is sort of my favourite character of the three so I'm really looking forward to reading that. I'm not that certain about In the Dreaming because I think that's the book that made me give up on the series originally because it's the fifth book but there are 15 books and I've never read any of the rest of them and I think in the dreaming was the reason that I stopped so I'm a little bit worried about the content of that I haven't really got a strong recollection of what the plot was actually about but I'm really hoping that it doesn't turn me off the rest of the series so I'll let you know how that goes this book is also worth mention because out of the first three is the longest and it has probably the more involved plot like the other two though the plot is quite predictable and even though I read this one last maybe eight years ago there's only really one murder suspect and once he enters the scene you instantly go it's him he's the killer and then it takes the rest of the book for the girls to catch up to this and actually be like oh wait a minute it's this extremely sketchy guy who we've met once and who was introduced in this book about murder who might be the murderer they don't know they're in the book but you know it's kind of obvious to the reader I am probably still going to motor through the rest of the series even if I have the reaction that I had previously to In the Dreaming so I probably will end up buying all 15 books probably in paperback form because it's just slightly cheaper than buying them on the Kindle so that means that once I have them all at the end I probably won't keep them so if you'd be interested in me doing like a giveaway or something if you wanted to a chance to get your hands on the whole series then please do get in touch on Twitter or the email address which I'll do at the end of this episode. They are used copies, some of them are like ex-library copies, so they're not in the best condition but they are still books, there aren't pages falling out of them or anything uh, and I think it'd just be nice if someone else got to read them or do something with them after I was done with them because otherwise they're probably just going to go to a, a charity shop and then they might be pulped and no book deserves to be pulped. Well, some books deserve to be pulped, but these ones don't, so I don't want them to be pulped. Pulped is a fun word to say. In terms of trigger warnings for this book, I don't think there are that many. There is a murder that takes place, but that's sort of off screen, although I suppose I should warn for a bit of, because of the visions where Cooper takes the place of the girl in mid-kidnapping, some people might find that a little bit distressing, but other than that, I think it's mostly okay. And there isn't anything like sexual assault or anything else in the book that's worrying. I do recommend giving it a look, even though so far it is my least favourite of the series. And I'm really hoping that this is just a momentary blip in the writer's saga of novels and that we do make a return to that sort of practical magic, uh, magical realism instead of full on supernatural teen books. I have to say, I looked up the reviews for this one on Goodreads because I review things over on Goodreads as well and a lot of people either said that this was their least favourite book for the reasons that I've outlined or they said it was their most favourite book because they actually prefer the fantasy witchcraft element and if that's your cup of tea then read the first two books they're not very long and then you'll read this one and you'll be like oh okay this is more of the kind of stuff that I wanted to see so I suppose it really just depends on what you're looking for. I do like with this series that on the back there's a rhyming spell uh, that relates to the book and is usually used in the storyline 
and these are actually quite well written quite nice and poetic so for example the one on the back of circle of three is show me places cloaked in secrets pierce the gloom of darkest night reveal that which has been hidden let me see with second sight and i think those are something that you can take and practically use as a spell in your own workings or as a, a chance or mantra during meditation before you do tarot or scrying or anything like that. I think that's nice. The books are generally full of little extras like that. The rituals they perform tend to be quite practically described. So if you wanted to, you could probably just lift them straight out of these books, which I think is a nice touch. For the reading this week, I've decided to do a part from maybe three quarters of the way into the book and the girls are sort of talking to each other about Cooper's visions and about how their studies in Wicca might have affected their lives and what's happening to them now and I thought it was quite interesting and I wanted to share it with you because we talk about initiating ourselves or dedicating ourselves and opening ourselves up to the magic of the world and to the god and the goddess and these forces that we use in magic and sometimes it's not just us affecting them it's them affecting us and i think that this quite nicely illustrates that do you think this would have happened if we weren't studying wicker kate asked suddenly cooper held her mug in her hands feeling the warmth i've been thinking about that she said and asked annie i don't think it would have cooper said i mean I think Elizabeth would have been killed, but I don't think I would have had these visions. Do you wish you hadn't? Annie said. That question was harder to answer. Did Cooper wish she'd never seen the things she'd seen? Sometimes. But if she hadn't, then it probably would have been a long time before Elizabeth's body had been found. No, Cooper said. I'm glad it happened. I'm glad I could help a little. Maybe someone else would have had the visions, but maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one who has whatever connection I have with Elizabeth. Sometimes I'm worried that we're opening up a big box that we won't be able to shut again, Kate said carefully. Seems like as soon as we started playing around with magic, all of these weird things started happening. I think we have opened something, said Annie. I think we've opened ourselves to parts of the world and to parts of ourselves that we'd kept shut up. Isn't that what witchcraft is all about? Opening yourself up to the things around you. I guess, Kate said. I just wish some of those things weren't so hard. Remember the dedication ceremony, Cooper asked her friends. They told us that our journeys weren't always going to be easy. But they didn't tell us that people would try to kill us, Kate protested. Cooper ignored Kate. They also told us that sometimes our paths would cross, and that sometimes we would travel together, and sometimes we would travel on our own. I think this is what they meant. What do you mean? Annie asked. I think my path and Elizabeth's path crossed for some reason, Cooper explained. I don't know why she died, but for some reason I've been brought into her journey and she's been brought into mine, if that makes sense. And you dragged us along with you, Kate added. Thanks a lot. That's part of it too, Cooper said, trying to explain what she was thinking, and afraid that she wasn't doing a very good job at it. Maybe my path is to learn to see these visions. Elizabeth's death provided an opportunity for that. I don't mean that she died so that I could learn some kind of lesson or anything. It just worked out that way. And maybe payment or whatever you want to call it for learning the lesson is to help her. And how exactly do Annie and I fit into this again? Kate said. Sorry, Cooper answered. You'll have to figure that out for yourselves. But I do think all of this stuff is happening to show me something. To show us something. 
I guess I always thought about magic in terms of good things, Kate said, like getting three wishes and changing toads into princes, that kind of thing. That's what got you into trouble in the first place, remember? Annie said. You know magic isn't like that. It's like Sophia says, you can't have dark without light. I find that segment really interesting because obviously it outlines the thing about opening yourself to the universe and getting back lots of different things, some of them good, some of them negative experiences that you can learn from. But I also think it's a nice bit to read to you now because it goes back to that kind of magical realism aspect about witchcraft and a lot of people get into it because they see books that say like 15 love spells for the teenage witch and how to heal your friends and curse your enemies and make your life better instantly with magic and I think a lot of people find out maybe in a hard way like Kate does in the first book that it's not just about wishing for things it's about working for things and it's about personal development and that can be really hard sometimes and really difficult and that even in paganism we can have what catholics and christians call dark nights of the soul times when you question everything and times when nothing seems right and everything you do seems wrong and it's those experiences like cooper experiences in this book that can change you far more than any amount of spells just to get you what you want and i think that's really important I hope you've enjoyed this episode and you can get in touch as usual on Twitter at witchfix and by email at witchfixpodcast at gmail.com. I will see you all in the next episode. Bye.